Welcome to today's episode of Fire in the Belly. This is where we get to hear some pretty inspiring stories from some amazing people. You know, it's always an absolute pleasure to sit down, take time out and have a warts and all conversation about their journey. I'm always intrigued by what it's taken for people to get to where they are today. And hopefully in this interview, we get to hear some more about that. From this, my mission is to help people to find their own fire in their belly. And from that, to live the mightiest version of you. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy today's guest. Success is a process, not an event. Hello and welcome to the Fire in the Belly show. Today we have myself, Mighty Pete, and we are joined by the Mike Duffy. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. No, it's good afternoon to you, right? It is. Pete, how are you doing today? Oh, absolutely awesome, Mike. And how's yourself? It's great to have you on. You know what? It's it's great to be uh, talking to a fellow Irishman today. Oh, my parents, my parents came over in 1959. They both had a sixth grade education, and their dream were to have their children uh, get the education that they were deprived of in Ireland. So you know, they 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 can always consider their lives a success. So you are basically the definition of your parents' success. <laughs> well, uh, that's the way they defined it. You know, the immigrants yeah. of, of times gone by always looked out to the future. How could they be a blessing to others? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So you you sort of almost, you have a foot on both sides of the Atlantic then. So where did your parents actually go to whenever they first landed? So they, uh, they came to Brooklyn, where I was born. Uh, and... Uh, we would, we would go back every other summer. I would spend, I would spend summers running around the tenements of the liberties with, uh, characters like Antho Hollywood and, uh, just, just wonderful Dublin characters with no money, but great hearts. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> no money, but great hearts. That's a great way of putting it. Absolutely. Great way of putting it. And you were saying, just before we started, just your parents were, were one of 13, you were saying? My mother says. was one of 13. Wow. So, you know, whenever and, and here because of things like Facebook and also the fact that we go back there often because we love going back to Ireland, uh, while it's one of the coldest places on Earth, it's one of the warmest places on Earth because of the people. Um, but, you know, we were just back there for a wedding. Uh, and it's just it's as if time hadn't passed. You know, there was my. My cousin Concepta, who's now a great grandmother, giving candy to my son from her pockets. You know, it's it's the same old Ireland. Oh, love it, love it. It's nice. It's nice to go away, but it's great to come back too, isn't it? It's that sort of yeah. real mix. But anywho, what Mike, tell us who are you? What do you do? Well, I, I wear a lot of hats. You know, uh, <laughs> it's it's um. I have a wealth management firm called Happiness Wealth Management. I'm an author of five books on happiness. I have a 501c3 called the Happiness Hall of Fame, where we recognize, celebrate, and encourage people and organizations that make other people happy. So in the hall are people like Muhammad Ali, who I got a chance to spend a couple of hours with. Uh, he and his wife invited me out to their museum a number of years ago to induct him into the hall personally, uh, Make-A-Wish, the Wounded Warrior Project, the Golden State Warriors, the San Francisco Giants, Steph Curry, just many, many people. Wow. And is, is this a bit of a legacy for you? Because obviously it's something you're passionate about. And I, I did the luxury, I mean, you did a TEDx talk and a few other talks that I got to see. And, and this is something where when you're listening to you, you can just see the... Well, I think you can. You can see the passion coming out. Is that, is that a fair summary? Absolutely. Uh, you know, I have my kids involved in the 501c3, which is a nonprofit um, tax code, uh, so that, you know, this work that I've been doing in happiness, which, by the way, started when I was 17, I'm often asked, how did you get into happiness? And, you know, as you can tell, I speak very fondly of my parents but sometimes in life, it's tragedies that help create beautiful things. So my mom passed away when I was 17 of cancer and a very happy boy turned into a very depressed person. 
So I, I try to figure out a way of how I could regain my happiness. And so I got a degree in psychology. I read everything from ancient texts to the latest scientific research, I still do, on happiness, success, resilience. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's it, a lot of times in life, you know, if you look at the silver lining, some of the hardest things that happen to you become the greatest things that happen to you if you choose to go the right route. Well, what were you searching for at that time? Do you know? I was searching to regain my happiness. Hmm. I'd lost such an amazing woman in my life. Uh, you want to talk about fire in the belly. She could have written 10 books on fire in the belly. My gosh, this woman, one time she was a cook. And one time she was eight months pregnant working in Manhattan. And she never learned how to drive, even though we had a car. But she passed out at eight months pregnant cooking. And they woke her up. And she stood up and she finished off her shift and then took the train home at two o'clock in the morning on the Manhattan subway. You want to talk about fire in the belly? That was my mom. Wow. Is she a bit of a hero for you, do you think? Absolutely. Do you take after? No one could replicate that woman, but I've, I've tried my best. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, uh, tell me, I mean, what, what exactly does fire in the belly mean to you, Mike? You know, it's funny. So here I am living in the land of opportunity. And, you know, when I run across folks that are first generation like myself, you know, we talk about what it's like to be raised in an immigrant home. And 99 out of 100 times that we have the same story, like you are not calling in sick to work. You are not going to miss a day of school like you had to like you know if if you could stand up you were either working or going to school like there was there was no apologies for hard work it was go we have this fire we gave up our families we gave up everything so that we could pour this blessing into you and you're just not going to squander it so it's a true blessing that's, I mean, it's, it's almost like the, you know, relating to a past time, isn't it really, you know, that sort mm -hmm. of, you really had to fight for your opportunities. It was probably yeah. different in that different generations, they had to work hard and it really was the generation of working hard and things like that. Whereas now it's all about working smart, right? There's a, there's a bit yeah. of a change. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, there was no credit cards. Oh, and my parents never had a credit card in their day. So it was basically, you know, eat what you kill. Right. Um, so, you know, you just and, and I, look, first of all, I totally believe in having a fire. So, you know, Pete, one of the reasons why I'm on your show right now is my happiness formula. That's why people want to interview me. I'm a public speaker. That's why I get hired to talk in front of corporations. I guess lecture at Stanford University for these three letters. It's P plus P equals H. Purpose plus progress equals happiness. Mm. So, you know, you have to identify what the purposes of your life are. And we all have many. And then as you make progress in those purposes, that's when happiness shows up. That's sustainable happiness. You see, Pete, there's two kinds of happiness. There's hedonic happiness which means you go out and you get drunk, you go shopping, you spend too much money, you take a vacation that you can't afford, and then it's gone. But there's a thing called eudaimonic happiness. Eudaimonic happiness describes the happiness that you get as a result of giving to others. And that's what I talk about, because this life is very short. And if you've ever you know, been a kid and you received a Christmas present, Maybe a day later or a week later, you were bored with it. But if you've ever given somebody a very meaningful present, you look back on that memory and that memory will always last you. Are you a better giver or a better receiver? I'm a terrible receiver. <laughs> you know, I have this Irish guilt. I just, it's just, it's, I can't overcome it. I've tried. I've tried. I can't take, but I can give. I'm an encouraged, nothing makes me happier than encouraging people. 
And, and which is bizarre, it, right? Because everything you give, you've got to get a, you got to have a taker, else it's a, it's a, it's an off formula, right? So it's, yeah, it's, it's, but I, know, I get but it. It's, it's do you, are you, are do you feel the same way I feel yeah, about receiving? I, I am so awkward at receiving things. It's just, <laughs> it's like everyone was just going, I wish I hadn't given it to him because. <laughs> I just suck all the joy out of it. My wife's like, just say thank you and just leave. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, that's hysterical. That's hysterical. Yeah. Now, Pete, what does fire in the belly mean to you? Do you know what? It's, it's, <clears throat> it's different for everyone. Um, but to me, I think as long as you have a beat in your heart, I think you have a fire in your belly. I don't care if you've, you know, if you're standing on stage and you're setting the world on fire or you're standing on a bridge ready to take your own life, I think you have a fire. So to me, that's a given. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it links probably quite closely to, you know, you talked about purpose. You know, I think we're here for a reason. And the question is, do we get to find that? Do we get to actually, you know, uncouple that? Or do we live a life of good and okay? Or do we live a life that actually challenges us? Yeah. You know, as you say, it's that progress. Are we progressing or are we standing still? You know, so um, I think that's it. I think anyone that lives with passion, I mean, the most common answer for friend in the belly is passion, mm-hmm. uh, burning desire, passion, all those things. And, and I get it, you know, and you can be passionate about speaking. You can be passionate about happiness. I've spoken to people who are happy, you know, they're, they're passionate about plants or sharks or anything, right? So, and when you get someone like that, they give off so much beautiful energy, so much energy. Um, you know, I, I agree. And the thing is, you know, I, I, so the purpose of my life is to help other people get happier. You know, my, my mom dying at 17 was the perfect example that this life is not permanent, that we are impermanent, that mm. time is running out. You know, I, there's something called QTL, quality of time left, right? So you could be, you know, you could grow old. Let's say you get to 80 years old, but if you have dementia starting at 65, you know, how much quality of time do you have left? So that that's why I love to go on podcasts or radio shows or television or speak live and remind people that this is not a dress rehearsal, that if you want to leave a legacy, you have to start today, that you have to choose to be happy. Happiness is not seasonal. It's not happy season. You know, every moment of the day, we are inundated with stimuli. Maybe it's visual stimuli, maybe it's auditory stimuli. And a lot of it is thoughts, right? It's insecure thoughts. And what I've learned is that you can't ignore the thoughts that come into your head. Some of them are good, some are bad, some are very self-destructive, but you can't ignore them, right? You can't stop them, but you can ignore them. And when you ignore them, then you have the ability to choose to be happy. You know, the latest inductee into the Happiness Hall of Fame is a sports psychologist named Dr. Kevin Elko. Brilliant man. And I got a chance to speak with him. Uh, He's won 30, he's he's helped teams, 30 different teams win football championships, American football. So from the uh, Philadelphia Eagles who beat Tom Brady when they should not have, no one gave them a chance, to the Pittsburgh Steelers, to working for years with Nick Saban at Alabama and LSU, they bring him in to help refine a system to work with the players so that they can become successful. And he's got a couple of great quotes. One of them is plan for peace. So when you stay in peace, you stay in power. And one of the ways that you don't stay in peace is you listen to the negative thoughts in your head. So if you're in a football game, the other team goes up 21 to zero. The first thing you're going to say is we're going to lose this game. Well, if you believe we're going to lose this game, guess what? You're going to lose this game. But that can be transported to life. You know, if you lose your job, you say, that's it. It's over. You mentioned about a man staying on a bridge waiting to take his life. Right. That's that's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. 
right? Life is like a roller coaster filled with ups and downs. But if you know that going in, and if you can hear the sound of my voice, please tuck this idea away of planning for peace. If you are in a bad spot, or even if you're in a good spot right now, understand that potholes are coming along the way. And if you say to yourself, no matter what happens in my life, I'm going to stay in peace, then you're going to have power. What are your thoughts on that, Mighty Pete? I think from what I'm hearing there, a lot of that is also, it's, it's peace with yourself. And that to me is, there's a lot of that to do with alignment. I'm curious if, if you don't mind me asking, I mean, what, what, what did you learn from your mother's passing? Oh, a lot of things that um, family is very important, right? Uh, that you have to patch up your differences with your family, right? <laughs> because, uh, you know, regardless of the family you're in, there's going to be ups and downs, right? But you, you have to be kind. And you also have to, you also have to tell people that you love them, right? So I, I'm not afraid to tell people that I love them. Right? I tell my clients that I love them. I tell, you know, if they, if they merit my love, if I think they're fantastic people, I'll tell them. When I go on vacation, we usually hire a private guide. And if, if this guide is awesome, which they usually are because we get a referral from other people, you know, half an hour in, you know, we went to Iceland recently, right? We had a guy who was 65 years old, an Icelandic man, a proud Icelander, you know, he was from, this guy is the craziest person you've ever met. He was a lawyer. He was a real estate agent. He was a cop and he is a horse trainer of those special, beautiful Icelandic horses. And you can tell that this man had so much to give and the joy that he gave our family as he proudly took us through the fjords and the waterfalls and the black sand beaches and the, the glaciers that I got to see break off into the ocean. Just amazing people. And when you meet those amazing people, tell them how much you appreciate them. Isn't it amazing exactly as you say, when, when you hit someone's passion project or someone that can describe an Icelandic scene, a whatever else, and they do it in such a way that you're enthralled. I mean, they could be... They could be describing, you know, the tarmac on the road, right? But actually, yes, yes. it's just it's the it's the enthusiasm that's carried with it that is, you know, it's so powerful. Which I imagine probably links quite nicely into for yourself in terms of speaking and and you know really conveying what you want to convey. It's it's about your energy, right? You know, for those that are on this call, that are public speakers or teachers or managers that have to get up and speak. What I have learned, because I've been a public speaker since I was 19, I was a stand-up comic, I was an MC at Woodstock 94. Bring the energy. If you want to convey your message, bring the energy. If you bring your energy, people will listen to you. So energy is a very big component of human communication. Earlier on, you talked about uh, happiness, and then you quickly talked about success. Uh, are the two intrinsically linked? Absolutely. So let's say you were a salesperson, right? And the only way you're going to make money is to get sales. And if you're calling somebody up and you say, hello, my name is Jim Thompson. <laughs> People are going to hang up the phone, right? All you're going to hear is clicks. But if you bring energy, you bring happiness, people are like, what is this cat about? Right? So happiness is a prerequisite. Some of the most successful people of all time are some of the happiest people. It's just, it, they're completely codependent on each other. Uh, and is this, is this a legacy for you? Do you think, is this, a, is this yes. your purpose, your life, life's work? Absolutely. You know, my mission statement is the purpose of my life is to make other people happier. That's what gives me the joy. You know, I have a homeless outreach and I, I inducted Mother Teresa's Missionaries of Charity into the Happiness Hall of Fame. Now, in order to do that, the head of that organization in India had to approve it. And so, you know, I, they have a local convent in San Francisco where I live near. 
And they they said, okay, you know, India has given us the the go ahead. We can we can receive your award. And I took my daughter at the time, who was ten years old, up to the convent, and I brought two dozen cupcakes, very expensive designer cupcakes. I wanted the nuns that night to have a great dessert. You know the Irish, right? We love our dessert. We love our sweets. So I go up there and I hand the award to the mother superior and also the cupcakes. And she takes the cupcakes and she said, our friends on the street will love these. And it was at that moment, the word friends and, and these women who dedicate their entire lives to the poor, also living in poverty. Some of them don't have sheets on the bed. I said, you know, it, it, was, it was just a moment in time that changed my life. And that's when I started not seeing homeless people on the streets, but seeing friends on the streets. And it was at that moment that changed my life. And I was able to leverage, and still am to this day, organizations and people that, that can help my friends on the street. So I was visiting with my friend, Zach, who used to sit outside the, the Walgreens on University Avenue in the shadow of Stan, in Stanford University. So you have somebody so poor being surrounded by such amazing wealth, very close to where Steve Jobs used to live. And I said to Zach, Zach, what are the desires of your heart? And he said, Mike, I would love to meet the players of the San Francisco Giants. And I said, let me work on that. So I called up the Giants who had come out to Stanford. Every year we have a big party and induction ceremony. And they brought out their three World Series trophies. And they talked about how off the field they make other people happy inside the community with the programs that they run. So I called up my now friend in the front office because uh, I'm making a movie and they were in the movie. And I said, you know, I have a young man who was born without the ability to stand. He has to drag himself by the knuckles in order to move forward. And his dream is to meet your players. Do you think we could make that happen? And they said, absolutely, Mike. Not only will we make that happen, we're going to have you guys come out to the premier game of the season against our hated rivals, the L.A. Dodgers. He can come out to the game and he can come out to batting practice before the game. And so we went out there. And I remember as I wheeled his wheelchair onto the field, I, he said to me, Mike, this is the greatest day of my life. And I said, Zach, this is one of the greatest days of my life because it was just amazing. So when you can fill your life stories with stories of helping others, stories of success, building, growing, and leaving a legacy of noble purpose, that's when happiness shows up. And as you say, with really sort of in the you know the in the convent or the, the you know with the with the mother Teresa that ability to actually see everyone the same regardless of stature regardless of position wealth whatever that everyone is just friends right we're all connections we're all beings we're all children of God right and you know the, the my homeless average has brought me great joy. Because while I work in finance and my clients are some of the wealthiest people in Silicon Valley, every day I get the antidote to see my friends who don't live in that world, who are living moment to moment. And I pray with them right on the street. And, and here's the other thing. They pray for me. Right. So I am and I have no problem receiving prayers, Pete. When, when people are praying for me, bring them on. I need all of them. So when it comes to prayer, I'll take as much as you can. Thank you. Do you think you are where you're supposed to be, Mike? I'm completely where I'm supposed to be. I, you know, I just, I, honestly, sometimes I have to pinch myself uh, because all that I had written down 
In fact, there's something that I want to share with your audience. Benjamin Franklin said that 1% of people are successful because only 1% of people write down their goals. So I am a goal writer downer. And I remember being in my starter house in the driveway in a house I did not want to live in. Uh, and I remember on my Apple iPhone, the notes app, which is a very powerful app. I was going to write down my goals. And up until that point, I had written down goals that I thought I could achieve. But I said, you know what, this time I'm going to write down goals that I probably can't achieve, but I'm going to write them down anyway. Big, hairy goals. And you know what, those goals have come true. So I encourage everybody to every year write down their goals, right? We're almost through 2021. Write down your goals for the end of 2021. And then in 2022, write down your 2022 goals and do that every year and then revisit during the year and, you know, have a page for each goal. And then you can go back and, and write, I made it. I did it. You know, it, it, there's something so rewarding about that. Yeah, it's it's doing it with purpose, right? Structure, purpose, and intention. Mm -hmm. Does happiness come naturally for you, Mike? You know, I, I, I'm in contact with a lot of the top scientific researchers on happiness. You know, like Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky um, is in the halls. She came to our event. She came up with the happiness scale, which goes from uh, one to seven, right? So I am a seven on the happiness scale. Um, and, and her theory is that 50, approximately 50% 50 of our happiness is baseline how we're born. It's our brain chemistry. Now, there are some people that are born with, with malfunctioning brain chemistry, right? But then the other 50% is, is how we create our life right? Do we ignore the negative thoughts? Are we overcomers? Do we choose to be happy? So I, I think if the average is 50-50, I think I was born probably 80-20, just, just, just the way it is. And then I have to work on the other 20%, just like everybody else. So I am a happiness warrior. You know, I, you know as those thoughts come into my mind of defeat, I whack them down. And do you think, do, do, do people get you, do you think? That's the beautiful thing. It doesn't matter, hmm. right? So Brene Brown, who's got one of the most watched TED Talks, she, how cool is this, has studied courage and vulnerability throughout her career, right? And she says to live in the arena, don't live in the cheap seats, ignore the haters. I can tell you this. I would say probably 60% of the people get me. They think that what I do is noble. They think it's fantastic. They understand how important happiness is. 20% of the people are meh. They don't care about this. They don't care about that. And then 20% of the people think I'm completely insane. Why would anybody waste their time on such? I was interviewed. I did a pre-interview for a big show just a couple of days ago. And during the pre-interview, the guy's like, well, can you just quote, you know, can you use statistics? Because, uh, you know, to me, happiness is very woo-woo. It's just, you know, it's just everybody has their own systems of what's important in their life. But what does it matter? I know that I'm making a difference. I know that faith comes by hearing. And you have to have faith in your life that you will be happy, that this too shall pass. How long is the, the happiness part of your life um, as in a, a project, if you like, or, or you know, as a, as a core theme? Because obviously you mentioned your background is really in, in finance, right? So to give me an overview of when you transitioned or how that happened, if you would. So again, you know, I'm, I'm 54. So for the last 37 years, I've been completely obsessed with the systems and the work necessary to become happier in your life, right? So I, I still to this day am reading the latest scientific research on happiness. I'm reaching out to the, the top thought leaders in the world on happiness. So I've been, you know, I've been completely obsessed with it. 
you know, my degrees in psychology, I thought I would get a PhD and then go that route. Uh, but when I got my degree in psychology in 91, positive psychology hadn't come out till 1999 with Dr. Martin Seligman, right? So up until that point, people in psychology were the high priests of misery. So I didn't, I didn't want to take that road. So I went into finance uh, and I own my own company. Uh, so it, it's kind of, I've got two paths. And, you know, the name of my, my wealth management firm is called Happiness Wealth Management. So even then they're still aligned, right? And when I have a new person sit down in front of me that is considering using my services, I say, okay, what makes you happy? And how can we get more of that for you? So it is an integral part of my financial planning process. You know, a lot of advisors, you know, just focus on the hoarding aspect of financial management, which is save, 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 invest, 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 which is important, and never spend, never spend, never spend. But, you know, if you, if you follow that route, you're going to die with a lot of money in the bank. And you're going to miss out on all the joy of giving, the journey of giving, watching faces of people, you know, who've received your gifts light up to make a difference in the world and whatever you're passionate about. Maybe it's pets. Maybe you, you know, you, you help finance somebody that's going to open up a, a no-kill pet shelter. You know, it's the, the ways that you can help people while you're alive with your currency are endless. So why not enjoy that gift today if you have the access? And interestingly, I mean, in, in the investor cycle or the investor characters, where do you normally set yourself? You know, are you a risk taker? Are you, you know, are, I, I forget the terms. I mean, they talked about contrarian investors. They talked, you know, all the different aspects, whereas people are risk adverse, long-term strategies, things like that. But where do you normally sit yourself just out of interest? Well, I like to buy quality. So there are fads always, there's always fads going on in investing, right? The, the most classic case is in Holland many, you know, many centuries ago, people invested in tulip bulbs, right? And there was a craze and tulip bulbs became, you know, so expensive. And while you're in that fog of war, when it comes to fad investing, all you can see is what is popular at that moment. Uh, so I like to buy quality, quality companies, you know, that, that have uh, a very large market share that is hard to take away. Um, so, so that's where I'm, I've always been focused. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. That's sort of long-term and, and really does, does the finance side of your business, I suppose, feed your ability and your, um, you know, your, your actual real calling, if you like, your real purpose, you know, or are they more intrinsically linked, do you think? Yeah. So, you know, I, I am successful at helping other people make money. And as a result of that, you know, my firm benefits. And as a result of that, my community benefits. So, you know, in order to have a 501c3, in order to have my homeless outreach, it has to be funded somewhere. And of course, my, my business is funding that, some of that. It makes sense. It does make sense. So to talk to me really about your books. I mean, you, you have five books now, um, you know, and, and well, first of all, what, what triggered you to write it? Are you, do you enjoy writing, first of all? Uh, you know, I, I did enjoy writing those books. The, what triggered it is now that you know my story, I have a lot of I have a lot of knowledge and information and wisdom that I've gleaned over the years. And one day I realized, you know what, if I were to pass away, like my mom did, my kids wouldn't have any of this knowledge that I that I used my whole life to get. So basically, my books are a love letter to my children a manual that they can use when I'm not around to, to learn how to live a successful life, to learn how to live a happy life. So each chapter uh, is written to be very understandable. 
I remember, you know, I was at Merrill Lynch where I was a senior vice president. And I was telling one of my, one of my friends there that I was going to write a book on happiness. And he said to me, whatever you do, don't write it in the kind of style that people can't understand, you know, that it's boring, that they don't have personal stories, you know, write it from your heart. So when you read my books, very easy to understand. I break down very complex theories and issues into very easily palatable ways to understand. And I bring in funny stories from my own life. I think it's a, it's a great way of doing it is, you know, storytelling, right? That's, that's the whole point of getting a message across is tell a story and then people can, can join you on the journey. Yeah. And the other thing that I wanted to get across here is that life is not about finding yourself, right? I remember growing up in New York City in Queens, uh, the, my town that I grew up in is Elmhurst. You know, you could see the towers of Manhattan from my town. And the New York Times wrote, I think five years ago, that Elmhurst is the most diverse place on earth, has the most language spoken, the most different types of people that are there. It was a wonderful place to, to be raised. But I remember my mom who would talk to anybody, you know, one time saying, Hey, where's, where's your son, Frankie? I haven't seen him around. And the woman on the block said, oh, he moved to California. You know, Frankie's trying to find himself. But what I've learned is that life's not about finding yourself, is that life is about creating yourself. Who do you want to be? What hero do you see out there that you would like to imitate? Do it, right? There's, there's so much written about how to be a success. Going back to the Stoics, the ancient Greeks, the blueprint is there. All you have to do is abandon fear. Now, what is fear? Well, if we spell it out, fear represents false evidence appearing real. I can't do it because, well, the great people that we talk about today didn't listen to fear. Didn't mean they didn't know that, that there was a possibility of failure. But, you know, if you look at the great success people like Thomas Edison took a thousand times to get the light bulb. Crazy Colonel Sanders, who on social security at the age of 65, went to a thousand different restaurants with a preposterous idea of give me a cut of your profits and I will give you the recipe for fried chicken on this piece of paper. And finally, somebody said yes. And now Kentucky Fried Chicken's in what, 150 countries around the world? Because he wasn't afraid, so don't be afraid. Just, I mean, it's interesting as you say that. It's almost that expression, you know. It's the, you know, the oak tree is in the acorn, right? You know, it's mm -hmm. people go searching for things out there when actually, you know, acres of diamonds, all that. It's it's actually the seed is within, you know, and it's it's looking within if you can't. Absolutely. And it's never too late to reinvent yourself. So one of my favorite stories is the Bubble Wrap Corporation. Now, everybody gets Amazon packages. And in those Amazon packages, a lot of time is, is some form of bubble wrap. Uh, and in the late 50s, the two inventors in New Jersey ran two pieces of plastic through a heating element. And as a result, it came out there were raised bubbles on the other side. And they said, my gosh, we've just made the greatest wallpaper man has ever seen. Can you imagine? For three years, they beat their head against the wall, going into the New York stores, the New Jersey stores, with this bubble wrap that we know today, saying, you've got to sell this. People need this wallpaper. Look at how amazing it is. Well, they sold none. And then finally, in the New York Times, one of the inventors read that IBM was having a problem with their latest digital computers. They were sending out these computers across the country, and they would arrive broken. So the recipient would send it back to IBM. They'd fix it. They'd send it back out broken again. They were wrapping those outrageously sophisticated and sensitive instruments in newspaper. So... 
the inventor of bubble wrap goes, wait a second, if we wrapped it in my wallpaper, it wouldn't, it wouldn't get damaged. I got to go there. So he actually walked into the office of IBM, got through the secretary. And because he had passion, he had enthusiasm, he had energy, got to see somebody and they said, this is a great idea. We're going to use this from now on. And then he could go to the next person, that the next shipper and say, look, IBM is using it. Give it a shot. And now Bubble Wrap is a, is a Fortune 500 company, all for reinventing yourself. Isn't it amazing? I mean, it's, it's that almost form of law of attraction. The how is almost none of your business, but it's just to be there, to be present and accept that actually the journey, you may think you're going from A to B, but actually you may take, uh, you know, the likes of Bubble Wrap, you know, you, you, success, is, success is almost a given should you choose but actually the roots may be different to what you expect. And that's okay too, right? Yeah. And that's, that's why resiliency is such an important skill for people to understand. Now, a lot of us in our lives, in fact, everybody that can hear the sound of my voice can treat things that have went wrong in their life and say this about it. You know, this situation, fill in the blank, contaminated me. It hurt me permanently. Or you can say this situation happened for me. I am better and stronger as a result of this. This setback is just a setup for my comeback. And I'm going to come back stronger. Right? So look at, I, I remember one time I was in a church. And it wasn't the Catholic church that I go to. It was a local church. It was actually in a warehouse. And I was invited to go. And the pastor called everybody up and said, I want, I want everybody to come up here who's lost their job. Come on up here. So, you know, a crowd of people went up to the front. And he, and he pointed out, he's on the stage, he pointed out this one young girl. And he says, you're smiling. Why are you smiling? And she says, because I know that the next job I get is going to be better than that lousy one I just lost. Right. So if you look at your life that way, that there are good things that are coming, you just can't see them yet. Right. You've heard the fog of war. I say there's a fog of opportunity. When you look back on your life, right, we're all breathing. We're all fed. Right. We're, we all have conscious thought right now. All of the things that you thought were going to take you out didn't. That's going to be the same in your future. Right. So if you understand that you're going to be fine, using the past as an example, then you can stay in peace. You can stay in happiness. You can look forward to the next opportunity because they're coming that you can take care of the next time. Do, do you think, I mean, because you mentioned before, and it, it is the contrast useful to somebody that's had hard times and maybe good things have not happened for them? That contrast to then, you know, as you say, people who are on the streets or homeless or wherever they are at in their lives, does that give you a higher, greater opportunity for success and happiness? Because you've seen the worst potentially, you've seen a very bad situation that then gives you contrast to see the other side. Is, do you think, is there a correlation there? I think that when you have bad things happening in your past and you've gone over them, it gives you strength. Right. So, you know, Larry Ellison, the, the founder of Oracle, said, I have the prerequisite damage background to be a success. Larry Ellison was born thinking that his mother was his mother, but in effect, his mother was actually his aunt. And he didn't learn this, I think, till he was 18 or 21. And his mother lived down the block, who he thought was his aunt. Right. Terrible upbringing in Chicago. Um, so that's the way he looked at it. He goes, you know what? I've looked at success stories and some of the greatest successes in the world had a terrible upbringing, right? And it made them stronger so that when other bumpy roads came up ahead, they were able to handle it. I love that. I love that. I think, cause I do think, I mean, your, you know, your weakness can be your strength should you choose. Absolutely. And again, it, it all goes back to, you know, my, 
my, my new friend, Dr. Kevin Elko, he's got a saying, so what, now what, right? Okay, uh, a person that I love left me, so what? Now what? Well, now I got to go find somebody to replace them, right? My business failed. So what? Now I got to start a business that won't fail. I lost my job. So what? Now I'm going to go out and I have the opportunity to get the job that I really wanted and not one that I was stuck in. So, you know, file that away in your mental Rolodex. So what? Now what? There's a poem you're probably aware of. It's, uh, I can't remember along the lines of, uh, good news, bad news, who knows? And ah. bit of a, it's almost like a bit of a parable, right? You know, so farmer and his son and the, you know, it's, it's, it's worth reading. It's just, I, I suspect it's along the similar lines, but things happen and you choose whether it's good news or bad news, um, or else you just choose to sort of be open to the opportunity and what's out there. Right. Look, I agree. Uh, you know, look, this this whole COVID thing, I don't sugarcoat anything, has been absolutely terrible, right? However, I remember pre-COVID, nobody had time for every anything. Working, doing this, doing that, can't see, I got three other things scheduled. Now we've been forced into self-reflection. So it has given an opportunity of a reset. You know, and now, unfortunately, I think that we've had too much meditation on what's going on with our lives, but that's a separate subject. But if you're in quarantine right now, New Zealand, Australia, um, and, and you know, even in California, we're not in quarantine, but you know, a lot of folks are like, well, I don't really want to go out to a restaurant because I don't want to get COVID. So you're almost in forced quarantine or self-quarantine. Well, take this time, if you haven't already, to reflect on your life. What I'd like everybody to do is to take out a piece of paper or take out their notes section and at the top write purpose. On the right side, write progress and write down the multiple purposes of your life. So, for example, I did this 10 years ago. One of the purposes of my life is to be a great husband to my, to, to my wife. And I learned a long time ago that it's much cheaper to hire a babysitter than it is a divorce attorney. Right. So where I wrote uh, progress, I wrote hire a babysitter every Saturday night. So I had a stable of babysitters. Uh, if somebody pulled out an hour before, I knew that I had somebody in the background that would jump at the opportunity to show up. And the other thing was, I would say to my wife, what do you want to do tonight? What restaurant do you want to go to? What movie do you want to see? When you are in a relationship, especially a wedding, a marriage relationship. You always want to put the other person before yourself. That way you can avoid the 51% divorce rate that we have. And the law of reciprocity states that if you are good to somebody, they want to be good back to you. So why wouldn't you want to be good to your spouse or partner? It will come back to you. Now, of course, you say, well, my, I'm married to a jerk. He doesn't know how to spell reciprocity. Well, you know, you can tell him what the law of reciprocity is, so he understands it, okay? But, you know, you, I've never heard anybody dying of love and kindness. What happened to him? Oh, he died of a severe attack of kindness. No. So, so you know, just keep on giving, baby. Keep on loving. Now, under, under uh, purpose, I also wrote, be a great father to my two kids. And under progress, I wrote, coach them in everything that they play. So, you know, what does everything leave out? Nothing. I coach them in everything. And, um, and you know, the, the great joy that I have, my daughter just made varsity golf. You know, I was golfing with her yesterday. Um, but, you know, when after a game, we, the team would go out and it'd be like 16 tiny faces you know, beaming from, you know, getting ice cream or pizza, right? And the joy that only youth can provide, right? That's when the happiness shows up. And I, I, you know, at the end of the day, like I have a fantastic relationship with my kids, but I know I did all that I could. I left it all out on the field. So do that exercise and I guarantee you it'll change your life for the better. Well, that's a beautiful way of looking at it and keeping track of your, as you say, your, your progress. Awesome.
Tell me, if, if you were to describe your fire in the belly in one or two words, what would they be, Mike? I would say love. You know, love, love can't be divided. It can only be multiplied, right? Bring as many people into your life as you can and love as many people in your life that you can. And you will be greatly rewarded. You know, my TED Talk is the critical importance of friends on your happiness. Friends will leave you. They will leave you for other parts of the country. They may pass away. They may decide not to be your friend anymore, right? So that's why you have to keep accumulating new friends, right? And and treat them all with respect and love. And you will get back more than you put in. Love it. Love it. Just cautious of time because you've been you've been very generous and uh, really want to make sure that we we sort of uh, honor your commitments here. And um, tell me, Mike, where can people learn more for you? You reach out to you, hunt you down, stalk you, track you, either any of the above. I don't want that. Uh, but if if you're looking for a speaker, either virtually or physically, now I, I started up speaking again uh, just this week. Made me very happy. You can go to mikeduffyspeaks.com. If you need uh, a financial advisor, uh, go to happinesswealthmanagement.com. And if you'd love to watch some good videos, my favorite is the Dolly Parton video uh, that she sent me. Uh, go to happinesshalloffame.com. Love it. Love it. Is there a final message you'd like to leave with the listeners? Yes. You are the author of the story of the rest of your life. Make that story one of amazing giving, one of amazing growth, travel, adventure, love, friendships, and more importantly, happiness. God bless you all and have a wonderful day. Mike, thank you so much. I appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Well, that was another great episode of Fire in the Belly. You know, this really wouldn't be possible without a great guest taking the time to share their personal journeys. And boy, boy, sometimes it is personal. It's an absolute pleasure to have that and then to hear the journeys that people have been on. We've loads more episodes coming up soon and it's always a pleasure to have guests on. If you do happen to know anyone with true fire in their belly, please reach out to us so we can share their journey, lessons and successes. So all that's left to say is have a great day, live with fire in your belly and be the mightiest version of you.